and welcome to another episode of the Bakari Sellers Podcast. Today, we have an amazing guest. She's smarter than everybody in this room, including Donnie and myself, but none other than Sarah Fisher. How are you? Hey, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. So look, we start each one of our shows the same way, which is to have our guests walk us through the arc of their careers and talk to us about your various career stops and talk to us about your beat now. It's something that I check daily Call Axios. You are very kind. Thank you so much. I started out in sales, selling media, so selling advertising, um, working in the early days at a company called Politico, at trying to figure out a subscription strategy. And I've sold a bunch of different types of formats, whether it's print, um, digital, some audio. And I always wanted to be a reporter, but it's kind of hard to break through. And so I got lucky when the folks at Politico moved over to start Axios, they hired me as a reporter and I've been covering the media beat ever since. So I've been with the company since before we even launched in 2016. And it's been a wild ride. I think this industry has seen more changes in the time that I've been covering it in the past seven years than it has probably for the past 100. And talk to us about, for people who may not have heard of it, because Axios is an interesting creature. It's like, for those of us who are in the news, who who just consume the news daily, it's essential. Um, it's also somewhat of a creature of social media. You see it all the time. But what really is Axios? It's a very good question. So the folks that started Politico uh, and were instrumental to its growth, Mike Allen, Jim Vandehei, and Roy Schwartz, left Politico about seven years ago, and they wanted to create a new outlet that did two things differently than what they had been doing at Politico. One, they wanted to cover and branch out of coverage outside of of politics. So thinking about business, technology, science, health, those are all things that we cover. In addition to more narrow topics like crypto and space and gaming and AI. And then the other thing is that they spent a lot of time just talking to experts in consumer behavior, in technology, in media to figure out what was the white space. If they were going to launch a new media company, what was the need that needed to be addressed? And the thing they found was that a lot of news companies, even digital ones, sort of copy-pasted their print strategies for the web. And that meant articles were super long, very wordy. They didn't get to the point until maybe like the fifth or sixth paragraph. And so what is different about Axios is we wanted to serve readers in a really digital first format that was different from the print experience. It's all of our copy, our content is very short. We write in bullet points and we lean very heavily into data visualizations because we wanna make it easy for you to consume this information. And then the last thing you should know about Axios is we are really passionate about serving smart professionals. We wanna help you do your job better. There are a lot of media outlets that help you live your life better. They provide recipes, they provide you know, showtimes about local movies or things like that. And we do some of that uh, at the local level. Axios is in 30 different cities. But the real thing that we're trying to drive home is we want to make it easier for professionals to be get smarter, faster. What do you say about the criticism that Axios is just dumbing down the news? I mean, you have these old, old head journalists. I'm not going to call any names, but people who are more seasoned, who may not be evolving the way that I am, because I'm a consumer of Axios who say, well, by bullet points and and all of that stuff. I mean, that's just not, that's not journalism. Well, we are tackling some really difficult and complicated topics. For example, how is AI going to change genetics? You know, in the media industry, what does it mean that we have 
you know, the vast majority of our information is flowing through algorithmically distributed pipes that have no regulatory oversight. These are very difficult topics. And for people who need to get smart fast for their profession, the way we can educate them the fastest is to deliver the answers and the information in a way that feels digestible and accessible. And so for us, we don't see it as us diving down the news. We see, we see it as this is the best way to serve readers. And by the way, you know, one thing I would be remiss not to say is that I will cover a story over the course of 10 little small micro stories where I explain things in really sort of easy to understand language with the hope that I've developed a relationship with my audience over time so that they read all 10 of those stories because they're easy to read and that they become much smarter over time be following my work. And what I could do and what I would do at other outlets is I would just hoard all that information and dump it to you in one big 10,000 word piece. But what we found is that people don't like to digest information that way. I mean, that's that's decently profound. And it's not that we necessarily don't like to, but a lot of us just don't have the time to. There's nothing it's, like a 10,000 word piece, but if it's in the bottom 2,000 words, that means I may or may not get to it. Yeah, absolutely. So look, I want to I want to talk to you about three three specific pieces that I know you have a great deal of insight on. The first is just, you know, covering the media. One of the issues that you cover as well as anyone in the country is the evolution of conservative media outlets. Um, how have we seen Fox News and other outlets evolve since Tucker's departure? And if the answer is Bakari, we don't have enough data points, so be it. But I doubt that's the case. Or have they kept doing what they've always done with the same number of viewers they've always had, which I kind of believe to be the case? It is more the latter. They're continuing to do the same type of content and strategy. They are more careful in the wake of the historic. $787 million def uh, defamation settlement that Fox made with the voting systems. They are a lot more careful about outlandish claims, specifically as they pertain to voter fraud and, you know, the election. But they still try to lean in to sort of hyper-partisan rhetoric in order to retain viewership. I'd say one interesting evolution is that in leaning into that sort of hyper uh, partisan um, information and storytelling, they have been able to develop really strong relationships with certain passionate consumers, which has allowed them to sell more subscriptions to various products. So for example, Fox launched Fox Nation a few years ago. It's a very successful, um, you know, standalone subscription media service that's mostly around opinion content. And they can do that because they're serving uh, a hyper need, right? hyperpartisan uh, desire for that content. Uh, similarly, The Daily Wire has a very successful, uh, more entertainment, if you will, but entertainment subscription streaming service. They're also now launching one for kids that's meant to be a more of a conservative values-driven uh, alternative to Disney+. And we're seeing other outlets lean heavily into subscription products because that's how you serve hyper-connected fans. Whereas in the Pre-Tucker era, there was a lot more of an emphasis on having access to big scaled audiences of conservatives that you could sell ads against. And by the way, one of the reasons that's changed is because I think advertisers became very skeptical of putting their message and brand, particularly Fortune 500 companies, against some of that content. And so you're seeing them pivot to subscriptions to insulate them from any sort of advertiser backlash as well or dependency on those advertisers. 
This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise, but if you're like me and my wife, the, the beloved sports gal, you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear, especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA. I make calls. I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it. You can work out in it. You can go outside. You can go shopping down in your local wherever. And you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viore.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I.com slash Simmons. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. You've also covered the writer and actor strike. And I can just tell you that um, they probably could have used a Sarah Fisher because I go to the barbershop every week, as you can probably tell by <laughs> this lined up beard right now. And one of the things that hasn't permeated the barbershop or the post offices or anything else is understanding what the writer and actor strike is actually about. Uh, I think that many people are starting to realize that some of their favorite shows are, are coming out of being on pause, but there still isn't a full-blown uh, talent surge back on TV yet. What seems to be the sticking point, and are there any indications that we're getting close to a resolution on all fronts? Great question. There are many different unions in Hollywood that represent different types of interests. There's a writer's guild. There's an uh -huh. actor's guild. There's a director's guild. Of these many different types of unions, there were two that were unable to renew their multi-year contracts with the major Hollywood studios, those studios being the Disney's and the Warner Brothers Discoveries, et cetera. And the writers and actors had not simultaneously been on strike in a very long time, in decades. So the fact that we had two strikes happening at once really brought Hollywood production to a halt. Both guilds actually are looking for pretty similar things. They want, first and foremost, to be paid out by the, the success of a performance of a show on streaming. So typically, when you are an actor or a writer, you're getting paid based on sort of a, an upfront payment, if you will, for your work. What they're asking you to do, what, what the writers and actors want now is, what if my show goes viral five years from now? Am I going to get the residual payments? That's the biggest thing. The second big thing is protection from their work and their likeness from being replicated by AI. That's a huge one. Uh, the writers actually have come up with an, a contract and they've signed it. And so that strike is over. And as a result, programming that requires writers, but not actors, things like talk shows or late night shows has come back. What has not yet come back, Kari, is programming that requires acting. So scripted series, a lot of your favorite streaming shows or shows on big networks. And right now they are at an impasse, the actors and the studios, and it's unclear when they are going to have a resolve. Unfortunately, if it doesn't get done by the end of the year, 
we're going to have a big problem in 2024. You're looking at award shows likely to be canceled because actors are not allowed to promote their works. They can't appear on red carpets. They can't go to shows. You're looking at more movies being pushed out of the first and second quarter of the year. So it's going to continue to have a big impact on Hollywood. And just to give you a sense of how big, you've had some movie studios like Warner Brothers Discovery, which has said that they are looking at possibly losing up to $500 million in profit this year because of these strikes. That's a, geez, that's a different animal. Let me ask you a question about a unique individual, one who I think is decently mediocre, but has a brilliant brain. Um, don't understand the personality or character flaws thereof. Um, and probably did better when he was doing science and not Twitter. But help me understand how Elon Musk thinks. Uh, you know, X is an interesting phenomenon since he's taken over. I am biased. I did consider myself somebody who knew uh, Jack Decent. I wouldn't say we were good friends, but I knew him. I knew where his heart was. I knew where his motivations lie. Um, can you help us understand about paying for Twitter or paying for X or trying to kill X or where he is and his financial structure of banks kind of just forgiving or throwing away that that the, the debt that is there? What's the future of Elon Musk and X? I'm glad you brought up Jack Dorsey. The two of them have very different philosophies on the internet. Jack Dorsey saw the internet as an ocean, as waves that he and Twitter needed to ride, meaning figure out consumer behavior, how you develop consumer trust, and follow some of those trends. And that really worked. I think most people who were using Twitter the, the before Elon Musk came in, the you know pushback on the product was that it didn't evolve much. But I think most users felt like their information was secure, that the product was reliable, et cetera. In Elon Musk's mind, he is the controller of a lot of the internet right now. He wants to break it apart and develop some of these new trends. And let me tell you, as a tech and media reporter, that is refreshing. I love seeing and hearing about people bringing in innovation. And so I'm optimistic that he might have some new ideas. The challenge has become that he does not know, quite frankly, where to push those boundaries and how much, quite frankly, um, resources he has to do it. So I think he thought that he could move very quickly in changing content moderation rules and introducing subscriptions. And I don't think he quite realized how big the advertiser fallout would be, which limits him in his ability to build new products. If you're going to ask me where I think X is going and where Twitter is going, I think they've already lost a lot of users. According to third parties, they will argue that they haven't. They've obviously lost a lot of advertising revenue. I think the system will continue to live on. News organizations, athletes, people are still leveraging the platform, but new alternatives are starting to build some steam. And I think it's just going to be a slow burn where X continues to hemorrhage while also coming up with new features and other alternatives continue to gain steam. But I don't think you're going to see a major shift away from X in the near future. Yeah, I don't, I don't I think Jack did something good and, you know, made it almost too big and almost it's almost essential now. Uh, if you want to know what's going on in Israel and Gaza, you kind of need to be on X. That, that's also very dangerous because you get so much misinformation and disinformation. You report yes. media trends and one of the prominent long term trends is uh, um, media giants like Disney and Fox having major profitability issues. How is cut cord cutting changing how people consume entertainment? Or is there something more systemic in play? And also, I don't know if you just saw that ESPN really drives Disney. I think that was pretty fascinating to see. Yeah, Fox is interesting because they were one of the only major entertainment giants that didn't get into the subscription streaming game. And as a result, 
they never got into this major profitability issue because they didn't try to build a Disney Plus or anything like that. Disney, NBCU in Comcast with Peacock, Warner Brothers Discovery with Max, and Paramount with Paramount Plus, none of those services are profitable. And they have all promised investors that they would become profitable beginning around 2024, 2025. So the clock is ticking. And I think the challenge that they're all facing is they launched during a time, the pandemic, where there was a consumer thirst for a lot of new content. And now that that has waned, they have all built these business models around chasing scale and chasing a lot of subscribers. And what Wall Street wants is, actually, you don't need to grow that much bigger. Show me you can juice a lot of money out of those subscribers. So you're seeing them start to do different tactics. Netflix has introduced password crackdowns. Netflix, Disney, and almost all the others have introduced advertising tiers. I think the big thing to watch, Bakari, is that these services are going to need to consolidate. Consumers have shown repeatedly in many surveys that they're not willing to pay more than about $40 a month for subscription streaming. And that could be because many are still paying for cable. 65 million households in the US still pay for a cable package or a pay TV package. But if that budget's not growing monthly, that means that there's not going to be a room for all of these services to coexist. So the thing I'm watching for next year is consolidation amongst, especially some of the smaller players. Think about Paramount, maybe Warner Brothers Discovery, NBCU. This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise, but if you're like me and my wife, the, the beloved sports gal, you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear, especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA. I make calls. I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it. You can work out in it. You can go outside. You can go shopping down in your local wherever. And you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viori.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I.com slash Simmons. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. This episode is brought to you by Thomas's. Thomas's presents Pondering the Bagel with Tom. Oh, the paradox of the bagel. Tis crunchy yet soft. Tis filling yet has a hole. Tis a vehicle for spreads, but only travels from toaster to plate. Thomas's, huzzah, a toast to breakfast. How do you think the press has covered the Biden administration? I ask because I feel like there's more coverage of Trump and Georgia and Hunter Biden uh, than what's actually happened in the administration. And I think that's probably true prior to 
Israel and Gaza because I think that now he's getting that light. Uh, and I'm not sure that Ukraine and and I'm trying to phrase this appropriately, Ukraine and Russia or the invasion of Russia into Ukraine, um, the deadly uh, Hamas attacks uh, two Saturdays ago. Um, I do think that things go in waves. And unfortunately, I feel like maybe in two months, those things will be bygones, unfortunately, although the although the wars will rage on. So when you look at data, that's exactly what happened with Ukraine. I mean, engagement with Ukraine started to fall off a cliff after a month. And I think part of it is because it's really hard for Americans to digest it and to accept it. These are really tough images that were coming out of Ukraine. And it's scary. Same thing with Israel. I expect that engagement with content about the war is going to go down. And it has brought a boom in ratings and engagement in the past two weeks. But I don't think that's going to last forever. How does, in the, terms how does coverage of the president after this mm-hmm. go? Because then. You know what's going to happen in March is you have you have a you have a trial of the former president of the United States. So after the Trump administration, news engagement fell off a cliff and news companies really were struggling financially. And I think they were gravitating towards the things that they knew their particular audiences were excited about. So we actually pulled this data. And what we found was that really conservative outlets were honing in on Hunter Biden stories because that's what their audiences wanted. So the New York Post, Fox, all in on Hunter and not covering Trump that much for obvious reasons. On the other side, you had companies like MSNBC going all in on coverage of Republicans on Trump's indictments. And so I think after the war, where we're at now, you're going to continue to see outlets chase the stories that they know their audiences want. For Republicans, that's going to be criticism of how the Biden administration reacts to these conflicts. And one theme, for example, is Biden administration, uh, you know, Iran uh, support and relationship with Iran. I think in terms of the Trump coverage, you're going to see left-leaning outlets lean very heavily into that with each subsequent indictment. I don't know that conservative uh, outlets will lean as heavily in. I think they're going to continue to chase the Hunter Biden story. Of course, they're going to continue to chase the Hunter Biden story. I was watching, uh, what's my friend's name, who is on The Daily Show? Tall, white guy, funny as hell. Had his own show for a little while on on Comedy Central. Anyway, he he was visiting a Trump rally and he asked him about the guy kept talking about all of the the crime of Hunter Biden and or Biden's children and taking money from foreign governments. And he was like, yeah, you know, you shouldn't take money from Saudi Arabia. Hundreds of millions of dollars from Saudi Arabia is not a good thing. And he said, so you think, you know, you should indict Ivanka and Jared? And the guy was like, no. He said, well, what kids are you talking about? And so, yes, Hunter Biden and the Trump administration are going to be the story of the day. Let me ask you the most important question. How can people follow your reporting and keep up with you on social media? Oh my gosh, you're so kind for asking. Well, first of all, follow your podcast because now I am <laughs> on it. Um, but you can you, sign by up the way, for... you're following you're following Jada Pinkett. So that, I mean, I think that we're gonna have a big listening audience after Jada Pinkett. People need to know that it's Sarah Fisher. So that that's where we are. That's huge. That's like a cool life milestone for me. I love <laughs> I love that. I appreciate that. Um, I'd say if you want to follow my work, I author a weekly column on media, and you could subscribe to Axios Media Trends on uh, signup.axios.com. I love you. Thank you so much for joining Bakari Sales Podcast. This was fun. Thank you. I was looking forward to this for so long. So thanks for having me.